Morning, everybody. <laughs> How you doing? Good to see you. If you're online, glad you're tuning in this morning and uh, glad you're here today in person. Uh, just want to highlight that next Sunday is Father's Day, and uh, we will, as Derek said, we will go to one service next Sunday. So don't come at 9, don't show up at 11, show up at 10, and we'll have service next Sunday uh, together. I'm looking forward to that. <clears throat> Also, just want to highlight something for you. Uh, many of you guys know Gary Drinkwater. Uh, he and his wife, April, have been here at North River for about 20 years. A couple of years ago, they retired, went down to Florida. This past April, as we shared, uh, April, his wife, had passed away. And uh, this coming Saturday, we're going to have a Celebration of Life Memorial Gathering for April. Um, and uh, we would ask you to join us, if you'd like, to remember April and support her husband. It'll be Saturday, June 17th, from 2 to 4 p.m. And uh, if you'd like to be here, there'll be some food, there'll be time of sharing, um, and uh, it's going to be a great afternoon So, and uh, to celebrate April's life. Well, let's get started with this morning. Uh, years ago, <clears throat> well-known theologian, pastor, and author, R.C. Sproul, was studying in the Netherlands. And he randomly struck up a conversation with this Dutch woman. And the conversation was, you know, pretty obvious. It was common, an enjoyable interaction. But when it was over, someone nearby came up to him and asked, why are you talking with that woman? Now, R.C. Sproul's response was something like, well, well, why wouldn't I? And their response was quite telling. It was because that she had collaborated with the Nazis some 30 years ago. She had become a pariah, an exile of sorts, in her own city because of a decision that she had made decades before. And this was the kind of animosity that one could expect when you collaborated with a foreign power despised by the local population. <clears throat> now, as I read this story, I found myself asking... Who was really being judged? Was it the woman or was it Sproul? Now, certainly the woman had been judged by society, but in this story, it would appear that R.C. Sproul was being judged for crossing that divide and engaging someone who was deemed an outcast. Have you ever been in a situation where you were trying to do something good and you were judged by others for it? Over the last nine weeks, we've been working through this series called He Gets Us, and we've been looking at the authentic Jesus of the Bible. And the purpose of this series has been to share what Jesus taught, how he lived while he was physically here on earth to serve as maybe a starting point or, or maybe even a midway point or a later point, entry point, to know and understand Jesus and his message. Today we're going to look at the question, how would Jesus be judged today? How would society, knowing what they know about Jesus, judge him if he was physically here on earth today like he was 2,000 years ago? If you and I saw Jesus and the disciples walking around Derby Street in Hingham, what would we see? What would you think of them? Do people view Jesus differently today than those in the ancient world? Would Jesus' message be different today? Or would his message be different? 
What I'd like to do is spend just a couple minutes looking at how does society view Jesus today? I did a little bit of research this week uh, to look at how people saw Jesus today. Now, this is not uh, some scientific research I did. It's, I'd say it's more relational research. So I'm not here to spout off statistics about Christianity in America. But what I wanted to do is that I wanted to hear and learn from people I know what they hear from people that they know about how they view Jesus. Kind of like one of those man-on-the-street interviews. No wrong answers, just honest, truthful thoughts about how people viewed Jesus today. Want to hear what I learned? Here's some of the responses that I got. <clears throat> one person said that Jesus, to my friends, is a fable, one that many of them have seemed to outgrown the need for. Jesus is unattainable. The world is so corrupt that it's impossible to live up to his standards. Jesus is judgmental. He judges what people do or don't do. Jesus is a hippie-like figure. He's all love. He never calls out sin. He has an anything-goes ideology. Jesus is hypocritical. If there is a God, why does he allow bad things to happen to good people? More than that, his followers are hypocritical. Some talk the talk, but not all walk the walk. Jesus becomes a justification for their self-righteous attitude. Jesus is a good man, loves everyone and everything we do. People believe in Jesus, but they're saddened that he is being used by people as a tool to justify hurting people who are different than them. Jesus tends to be more of a magician than God. When things are going our way, and Jesus is being good. But when our prayers requests are, answered, are not answered, or uh, we think that he must have made some kind of mistake. Jesus is used as a tool by the church people to justify hurting people that are different than they are. People believe that those of us that follow Jesus are crazy and have lost their minds. <laughs> Most people don't really know who Jesus is. Those who don't practice Christianity are often quick to judge those who do, feeling that they're posturing behind an image of love but are often disingenuous. Jesus is not really important, not looked upon too favorably today. People believe that Jesus was a good, loving teacher and maybe was even the son of God, but that the church has failed miserably, covering up abuse instead of rooting it out and caused divides instead of seeking to heal them. In general, a lot of people have positive reactions to Jesus and negative reactions to Christianity and the church. As you heard that list, what thoughts come to mind as you heard those answers? Talk to me. I want to hear from you. What were some of your reactions? Just shout them out right where you are. Sure. 
Right, right. Okay, great. Another answer. Somebody else. Jesus is misunderstood. Just another teacher. What do we hear? Jesus is misunderstood. Jesus is misunderstood. What else? Lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. Yep. Any, any others? The church is misunderstood. Yeah, yeah. As I, read, as I read through that list and I was processing and thinking it through, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of confusion in the world today, right? And in some ways, there was a sadness because the issue may not be so much that Jesus is being judged, but it seems like the church is more judged than Jesus is. And there was this holy discontent that I wrestled with of what do we do as a church? On a high level, the answers that I shared with you are indicative of something called moral relativism, which is one of the main characteristics of a post-Christian mindset. In his book, Hybrid Church, pastor-author James White explains moral relativism like this. He says, the basic idea of moral relativism is what is true for you is uh, what is true for you is true for you. And what is true for me is true for me. See, truth is relative based on personal choice or experience rather than on established rules or historical truth. Now, I'm not calling this out as defensive judgment, but it gives some clarity on why there are so many differing views of Jesus in society today. The answers I shared with you, they're just a sample of what's possibly out there. Imagine the responses if the question was opened up to a much broader audience. The implication for us is that people may have judgment towards Jesus and the church. So we need to be grounded in the truth of who Jesus is for ourselves and we need to be willing to listen to those who see Jesus differently than we do. How did people in Jesus' day view him? And is there any difference between how our world sees him and how Jesus saw, uh, people in Jesus' day saw him? Are there similarities between then and now? I want to show you a quick video clip to prime the pump a little bit, and then we'll dig in and we'll look at Scripture. And we'll see how, how people of Jesus' day saw him. Watch this video. <clears throat> a rebel took to the streets. He recruited others to join him. They quit their jobs, left their families, and swore allegiance to him. They roamed the hood, challenged authority, and made a lot of people uneasy. Community leaders feared them. Religious leaders abhorred them. Law enforcement labeled them outlaws. We have to shut them down, they said. Get them off the streets. Protect our communities from these troublemakers. But they weren't part of a gang spreading hate and terror. They were spreading love. Let's look at a couple snapshots of Jesus' life out of Scripture. Here's what we read in Matthew 11, verse 9. It says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, 
And they say here, they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. This is Jesus describing how people of his day had perceived him. Jesus calls himself the son of man here, revealing his messianic identity as the great healer and great physician and redeemer. But it's the people of Jesus' day who twist his intention, twist his motive into an an, an, uh, accusation of being some wild party animal. People in Jesus' day might not have been that much different than how people today view Jesus. Here's another, another snapshot. This is found in Luke chapter 5, verses 29 and 32. It says, Then Levi held a banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large, large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Just a little bit of background here. Levi was one of Jesus' disciples, and Jesus had called him to join his team in ministry. How did people in Jesus' day view him? They saw him as a ringleader, Jesus as a ringleader of a group of troublemakers, a friend of tax collectors and and sinners. Levi hosts this huge party for his friends. Jesus was there, and apparently the religious leaders just happened to be in the area. They see this rager going on, and they see Jesus hanging out with the crowd. And they were ticked. They complained to the disciples they, 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 were, they weren't just necessarily in inquiring or wondering or asking. The word complained here is a very interesting word. The Greek word is gongizo. Say that with me. Gongizo. Say it. Gongizo. Say it again. <laughs> Used in a sentence, my wife gongizoed that I watched football in the living room all afternoon. <laughs> The word is a graphic, emotive term where you can hear the complaint in the sound of the word. These weren't just guys who were asking a random question. They were livid. They were not happy with what's going on. And what the Pharisees were implying in their complaint was that Jesus should not even be associated with such a loser crowd if he was who he said he was. The Pharisees called for a high-level degree of separation from such a crowd. But here Jesus determined he was right where he was supposed to be. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, said Jesus. Don't miss this. The Pharisees had an ideology of who Jesus should be. But Jesus operated the way he was intended to be. We often run into our differences about Jesus. And whenever we run into a difference between what the authentic version of Jesus in Bible reveals himself to be, we need to alter and switch and shift 
our ideology to who Jesus claimed to be in Scripture. Now here's a little sidebar, a little lesson from Todd from his early days of being a Christian. College students, this passage is not a proof text that gives you license to funnel beer at your next frat party's kegger in the name of Jesus, (laughs) okay? (laughs) That's not what's going on here. When you begin to look at the list of Jesus' disciples, you discover that they were on the edge of society. Levi was a tax collector. Everyone knew Levi because he was a low-life trader. Levi would raise the tax bills of his people to pay his salary for his job. Peter, Simon, Andrew, James, and John ran fishing boats out of the Sea of Galilee. It was dirty, sweaty, smelly, entry-level work. The government and religious authorities of Jesus' day saw Jesus and his disciples as troublemakers, as lawbreakers, as rebels. Jesus and his crew were eyed with suspicion whenever they entered into a new city or they walked down the street. Rumors and and, and false accusations swirled. Everything that they did was questioned or challenged. People were highly suspect of who Jesus was. So how did Jesus deal with that criticism? How did he deal with that judgment as he came came across it? Let's look at another snapshot in Jesus' life. We're going to look at Luke chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, and they said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? He looked around at all of them, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious, and they began to discuss with one another what they might do with Jesus. The Sabbath was considered an observed holy day in the ancient world. All work was supposed to cease for the day. It was meant for resting and for worship and to focus on God. And here's this man whose hand was deformed. It wasn't a life or death situation. He didn't sever his arm. But the extent of his deformity meant that he was not able to work or make money and have a career for a living. For the religious leaders, they would have interpreted that and ruled that uh, that, la- that there was a lack of need for healing and medical attention right then and there. If it was not a life-threatening situation, then the medical attention should wait to avoid labor and work on the Sabbath. That was the argument going back and forth here. 
So how did Jesus respond? I mean, he could have simply said, hey, I I, I don't want to rock the boat here with these religious leaders. Let's just sit and wait till Monday to help this man. Thinking that maybe he'll earn the respect as as leaders of this community. The problem was Jesus, being who he was, knew what the Pharisees were thinking. They were watching him, not to learn from him, but they were trying to catch him. It was a trap. If Jesus healed the man, he would have essentially disrupted the rules of the Sabbath. If he didn't heal the man, he would have had the potential missed opportunity to help someone in need. How did Jesus deal with judgment and criticism? Jesus didn't look at the status of people. He looked at the heart of people. Jesus didn't look at the status of people. He looked at the heart of people. Here's what happened here. Jesus assessed that the Pharisees' heart, hearts were not in the right place. See, they were more concerned about uh, uh, that Jesus followed their paradigm rather than help somebody. Jesus' Jesus's response to the Pharisees is telling He asks them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or or, or to destroy it? He calls out their heart attitude into question by implying that what they are doing is actually evil. To be evil is to be profoundly immoral, to be wicked, ungodly. And what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees here is that what they were doing was absent of God. Yet Jesus sees this man who needs his healing touch, and he sees an opportunity to help him, despite what day it is. It's not that Jesus didn't care about the Sabbath. Jesus was able to see past the letter of the law, which was no work on the Sabbath, to understand the spirit of the law, to show mercy on the Sabbath. See the difference? So what did Jesus do? He put the situation into God's hands. Tells the man, stretch out your hand. And as he did, his hand was healed. See, God blessed Jesus' efforts And he thwarted the Pharisees' position. Now, Jesus wasn't trying to stir the pot here or or, or win some kind of popularity contest. Jesus leaned towards his mission of serving and loving and bringing redemption into a hurting and broken broken world rather than go through the process of bureaucracy which often gums things up and causes challenges. I was thinking about some stories around North River about how opportunities where we've opted to go above and beyond at North River rather than follow the system and the rules. About six months ago, we had a a group, uh, a family show up. They were Romanian refugees and they had come up from Texas because they were supposed to visit. Uh, they had a meeting um, with their immigration officer. 
and uh, they were trying to get back home down to Texas. And they showed up here one morning at the 11 o'clock service. And we took them in and sat down with them and as best as we could tried to converse and, and have a conversation with them. Uh, they had two young kids. They, I think they had, they had two girls, a, 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 like a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And they didn't, have, they didn't have anything. And we had, you know, we were trying to figure out, well, how, how can we help them? We have uh, benevolence here at North River, and we want to help people as best as we can. We have some process and policy in place uh, in order to have some safeguards so that we're not taken advantage of and that we want to make sure that we're, we're, we're helping the people who need, who need help and not just trying to steal money or, or take advantage. And as we sat with, the, with this family, we were understanding their heart. It was a husband who was trying to get his family back to Texas. And they had a car, and they were going to drive all the way down there, about 15, 17, 1,800 miles. So we kind of pulled our heads together and tried to figure out what we can do, and we, found some, we, we, we pulled some money together, and it was the day that we were collecting uh, food for the Hanover Food Pantry, and we loaded up their, their car with food. Why? Because it was an opportunity to serve and act like Jesus did. We could have said, hey, go away, go, go, find, a, go find a shelter somewhere or, or go find um, some government uh, services that could help you out or you know, come in and go through our process. But we saw it as an immediate need and an opportunity where we said, we're going to serve this family. We're going to help them. We can't fund them all the way down to Texas, but we can get them started and encourage them to find another church along the way that could help them as they continue to move on. That was a church in action. There was no pushback. There was no arguing. There was no, we can't do that. It was, what do we need to do in order to help this family move forward? One of the things that we're, we're trying to do at North River uh, we've been working on for the last year and will continue in the months and the weeks to come is to continue to learn how do we have a ministry to LGBTQ plus people. We have a team that's been working really hard on this over the last year and they've developed a statement, a mission statement for how that's going to happen here at North River. See, the goal here is to share the love of Jesus and in in honor biblical truth and create a welcoming and safe church environment for LGBT plus people and their families to pursue a transformed life in Christ. Every church is wrestling with this concept today. And there, there's, a, there's a middle road between the churches who will say, we are not going to let LGBTQ people into our church And then then on the other side where it's like, yeah, anything can go. Come on in and you're welcomed and affirmed. There's a middle road there where we want to seek to maintain biblical truth about sexuality. But at the same time, we want to have a posture where we can accept people. And we want North River to be a place where everyone is welcome and accepted where they are where there's not hoops or barriers or judgments. We want to have people feel and know that they're included and that they're loved. At the same time, we want to be non-affirming. 
We don't endure sin, including but not limited to same-sex behavior, adultery, or pornography. But we want to model out how do we live a committed life, but we can help people to come in and wrestle and think through biblical truth and what that means for their life and their relationship with God without being beaten over the head with a Bible, without being judged, without being looked at differently, but being loved and being part of the community here at North River. Friends, here's the big idea for this morning. Jesus dealt with judgment and criticism by keeping focused on his mission despite the opposition. Jesus dealt with judgment and criticism by keeping focused on his mission despite the opposition. Jesus wasn't some robot, and he was neither plagued with you know, tunnel vision where he's like, I just got to focus on my mission. Everything he did, everything he did was filtered through the idea of his mission. Jesus' first question before any decision or response was, how will this move my mission forward? And if it moved Jesus' mission forward, he was all in. Just like Jesus, we are on a mission as well. As the church, as followers of Jesus... We are part of the mission of Jesus to be redeemers in the world. Our mission as Christians is to partner with God and fulfill his mission in the world. So here's the truth. No servant is greater than the master. Jesus was judged for his mission. And friends, we're going to be judged too for being part of Jesus' mission. We're not exempt from being judged for his mission. Jesus gets us because he knows what it means to be misunderstood, to be criticized, to be judged. As Christians, we walk with Jesus. We, we serve with Jesus. But we are also judged with Jesus. And we die with Jesus. But here's the good news. We are resurrected with Jesus. And that's what it means to be a Christian. We share in his death and his resurrection as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I said a little while ago that I'd come back to the church problem that the church seems to have by being judged by society today. Now, we certainly can't force people to think differently about Jesus and the church, but we have to make sure that we reflect the authentic Jesus of the Bible. Friends, you and I need to align ourselves with Jesus. And it, it causes us, it forces us to ask that if as followers of Christ, are we willing to keep learning and growing in our understanding of who 
that authentic Jesus is? Are we willing to find ways to, to serve? Are we willing to partner with God in his mission in the world? And like Jesus, we need to ask in every area of our life, with, with our time, with our, with our, with our talents, with our, with our finances, are we willing, is what I'm doing moving Jesus' mission forward? Are we all in on the mission of Jesus? About a week and a half, two weeks ago, I was sitting outside 7-Eleven, and, and I, was, I was sitting in my truck, and my truck was running, and I, had, I was on the phone with a friend of mine, and, and we were talking, and I had the phone on my lap. It was on speakerphone, and I'm just kind of staring. You can kind of picture this. I'm staring out the window, not really gazing or looking at anything, but I'm listening to the conversation, processing, processing what they're saying. And then all of a sudden, I see this person who had been walking on the sidewalk going into 7-Eleven. And he was starting to approach me in my truck. And he's got his hands up. And he's like, who are you looking at? Who do you think you're looking at? Now, now the inside of me was like, I'm getting on this truck and I'm going to tell you who I'm looking at. But I knew I had this message today and I need to have a good story. Not just, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, but I was. I was a little ticked. I'm like, who does this guy think he is? And I just, I'm like... Peter, hold on a second. I rolled down my window, and as nice as I could, as nice as I could muster, I was like, "Can I help you?" And he's like, "Who are you looking at?" And I said, "Sir, I'm on my phone. I'm not. I'm not looking at you. I'm sorry if I offended you." And and he kind of he kind of realized in the moment that he overreacted, and he kind of you know, sorry. And I mean, I could have been a total jerk. I'm like, "Yeah, you should be." But I was like, hey, ha have a great day. See, those are touches in the world where we, we can look like Jesus <laughs> or we can look like hell, <laughs> right? <laughs> Everything we do has to be filtered. We have to think. And, and I'm not saying that we're going to be perfect in this, and I'm not saying we're going to always get it right. There's times where I have done sinful things <laughs> when driving because somebody cut me off. <laughs> but when we have the heart attitude of Jesus, when we have the mindset of Jesus, when we realize that we're on mission, there's something powerful when we can extend the love of Jesus right wherever we are. Maybe it's outside of 7-Eleven. Maybe it's helping somebody with their groceries in the grocery store. Maybe it's helping a neighbor who's shut in, ill, or infirmed. Maybe it's a coworker who's going through a rough time in their life. There, there, there's, an, there's an opportunity wherever we go to represent Jesus. Here's the golden rule. If we're going to be judged, be judged for doing something good not doing something that tarnishes the reputation of God. That's the golden rule. If we're going to be judged, judged for doing something good, not doing something that tarnishes the reputation of God. What would life look like if every Christian 
had that method of operation? What would people see in the world? How would they view the church if that's how the church operated? What next step can you and I take in our journey with Jesus? My hope and my thought is that this time got you thinking, is there something that maybe I need to do differently? Do I need to shift my thinking about how and and shape how Jesus operated and shape my life around that? Have I been too much of a separatist, separating myself from the world in order that I can appear and come off self-righteous? Maybe not even appear, maybe just that's what we think, that that's what we're supposed to be. Or are we too busy in our own stuff, in our own life, to care about the people around us, to know about the love and the hope and the mercy of God? Friends, I would encourage you that if you have not done this, to take part of our upcoming 401 class. Our 401 class is a class that's designed to help you understand how we partner with God to fulfill his mission in the world. See, as Christians, we're not meant just to come on Sunday morning and consume Christianity, consume the teachings of Jesus. When we leave here, we're meant to go and spread the love of God to the world. It's not up to the pastor, it's not up to the church leaders to make sure that evangelism happens. By, go, by them going out and evangelizing. It's up to the pastors and the church leaders to equip the church to learn, identify, and know that each one of us is part of God's mission in the world to reach those around us. That's how God uses you and I today. So 401 is designed to help everybody understand, to discover what that mission is and how God has created us and and understanding the mission of Jesus and why Jesus' mission should really matter to us. We, We teach how to share your message in a way that is not confrontational, but relational. Most importantly, we learn how do we have close proximity with people and engage them in a way that doesn't judge them, that doesn't confront them, but as we walk with them, it exposes them to a loving redeemer who is full of mercy. And that when they look at us and when they see us, they don't see some judgmental, hypocritical extension of a, religious institution that seems outdated, but rather they see us connected to a living Savior, Jesus Christ. If you haven't taken 401, I would encourage you to be part of that. We're going to do that on on June 25th. Uh, If you can't make it, that's okay. Sign up for the next one. Be part of that. But don't leave here today thinking that your job is to sit on the sidelines Your job is to get in the game. 
And you may deal with judgment and criticism in that process. But we continue to be focused on Jesus' mission despite opposition. Make sense? Let's pray. God, thank you that we're part of your redemptive plan. First, that you get us. But more importantly, that we get you. That you've transformed our lives. And that each day, regardless of how long we walked with you, you're making us new and you're transforming us into the likeness of your son. So God, help us as we take steps to further your mission in the world. God, we ask for grace when needed. We ask for wisdom when needed. We ask for boldness and strength when needed. We ask for protection when needed. And God, in the areas where we fall short, would your grace shine even brighter so that we can help fulfill your redemptive plan in the world. We want to be part of that. We want to be engaged. We want to be all in. We ask this this morning in your son's name. Amen. Before we wrap up today, we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper together. And what a fitting time to do that at the end, at, as we wrap up uh, this message today. Because it's an opportunity to remember that true, authentic Jesus and who he was in Scripture and who he was in the Bible. And through a simple process of eating a piece of bread and drinking a cup, we remember the mission of Jesus. We remember his resurrection. We remember his death. And remember, we remember the life that we have with him together in community. So I'm going to ask for you to take off the, the top layer of your, of your cup here. It's a little tricky. Don't spill your juice. And let's take this piece of bread together. God, we acknowledge that this bread represents your body. And that we do this in remembrance of you. Knowing that your body was broken. But we are part of your body as the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus took a simple cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant, a new beginning in Jesus. And he said, whenever you drink this cup, we proclaim, we let others know about his death until he comes back. So this not only serves as a reminder, but it's a symbol that we have a role in proclaiming Jesus' death until he comes. And as we take this, we do this together because we're part of the team. We're part of the family. We're part of the community. We're not doing this alone. We do this together as brothers and sisters of Christ. Let's take this cup together. God, thank you for your grace today. 
We celebrate you. We worship you. We sing. We learn. And we grow. Amen.